morning, church family. I love this morning. You know why? Um, because it's fall. I love the fall. And because the hills are green. Isn't that great? And because we got this extra hours of sleep and you're actually awake and you're going to listen to the message. That's so cool. So if you would, just dive right in the Bible with me. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And we're going to just dive right into the text this morning. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, there's some provided for you right in the, um, in the pews before you in the racks there. And there's, it's at page 821. Or hopefully you've got your Bible on your app, on your phone, wherever, however you get into God's Word. We're going to do that this morning. And it's a really fascinating text. I think you'll be sharpened by it and encouraged by it. Of course, God's Word tells us that it never returns empty. It's going to pour into you and shape you as God does this good work this morning. So we're inviting that to happen and looking forward to it. Before we do, I'm going to invite you to take a little personal time just to pray. Three important things I want you to pray for as you're just coming before the Lord. And isn't it good to know that God listens and cares and longs to hear our calling out to him? That's a privilege. And as his children, he just loves that. So three things I want you to pray for. The first is that God richly speaks to you, that your heart's ready, that all the stuff that you've got going on, you can just set that aside and listen to the Lord. The second I want you to pray for, um, apparently something's happening this week in our country. And uh, we should pray for the elections, that God has his way, right? That he divinely steps in and orchestrates the events, and we can rest in that. And have sure knowledge that God has a good plan, um, even though we might question <laughs> at times what's going on. So please pray for our country and the elections that are upcoming. And third, um, this morning after a long and uh, patient, at times, search for a pastor for our Mandarin Fellowship, we have someone who is preaching over there who is uh, going through the process with us. And we want to invite you to pray for that. His name is Chi. And uh, we'll give you more information. Um, and we're just looking to see what God might have for us. So those three things. Invite the Lord to speak. Invite the Lord to work in our nation this week. And invite the Lord to do this good work for someone to lead this really crucial ministry in our fellowship. Because we all know that there are tons of people that our Manor Fellowship can reach like maybe you can't, and they're in our neighborhoods and need Jesus. So let's pray for that, okay? Those three things. Just take some time with the Lord this morning right now. Loving Father, it is so good to be yours and to rest in the confidence that a sovereign God is steering our future and we bring before you, humbly, Lord, our nation, um, this critical vote that's before us. And uh, we lay again our country before you that it would turn, it would repent, it would seek you, humble ourselves, Lord. We humble ourselves before you and your mighty hand, and we're asking for your sovereign work in our elections. And I pray the conversations that we have about that this week would turn people to our faith in you and our confidence that rests in you. Lord, redeem this nation for your glory. 
And we pray, Father, for um, what you're doing with the Manor Fellowship and for Chi and his family. And I, I just pray for wisdom there. This is in your hands again. And we pray, God, that you would do an awesome work in that. And as we consider your word, Lord, richly speak to us and in us so that we might be your kids who follow wholeheartedly after you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Well, we've began, um, we began this series about serving. And um, this is so critical because I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to get things really messed up in my service. And there's really actually a lot of reasons why I go south and where I get confused. And so we're taking time to focus on this topic so that we might do what God has intended for us. And we actually might have joy in the doing. We might participate in this with uh, full hearts and find what God wants us to find in our service of him. So let me remind you, uh, because the models that we have in front of us are pretty as Pastor Nate would say, jacked up. Um, So people desire and serve for all kinds of reasons, and a lot of them that we see in front of us are reasons for their own personal gain. People seek greatness, and a lot of times they follow the act of altruism for their greatness. And we see that all kinds of ways in expressing itself. Of course, Jesus spoke into this desire for personal esteem and the ambition for greatness when he said in Matthew 20, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. They must serve you. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. That is, they must lay down everything in humility to serve. Even as the Son of Man This great title for the Messiah came not to be served, but to serve. A process that a little bit more deeply this morning, if you would, that the Lord God of heaven and earth came as a slave for you. It's remarkable, right? It's it's rich, thought-provoking. And to give his life as a ransom for many, to pour out his life as a payment for your sin. Now, I'm not going to go into the full explanation, but that gets at a core Christian theme, part of our theology, penal substitution, substitutionary atonement, that he paid for our sin by his blood that was poured out. So, this great model that he came As a slave to serve, God himself did that. And according to Jesus, greatness comes through serving. But I can still mess it up through all kinds of wrong motives for me and reasons why I serve. I can grow tired and discouraged in my service. Anybody ever feel that? I can feel underappreciated. Like people don't realize how great really I am. And people don't know how much I'm really giving. Why, well, why won't people recognize that and understand how much of my bandwidth I give, how much I give financially, how much I give my, my energies and time, and why am I not appreciated for that? And I could come to believe 
that I actually, in this opportunity for service in front of me, that I, I can't do it as well as, as somebody else could, like Kendall, because he does things really well, and I'm not really quite as skilled as Kendall, and so maybe I just won't serve, and I'll just step away from the opportunity. I can conclude that other people are better volunteers. I can conclude that the vision behind serving is murky, and I don't know why I'm serving, and the mission seems to be lost, and I can lose my passion in the middle of my service and just go through the motions and, and then become apathetic. Or I can just not serve. I can be picking self-centered. That's who I am at times. At the beginning of Matthew 16, we're given this scene in the life of Jesus. Read it with me. Starting verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, that is the religious leaders of the day, came. They came to Jesus. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So they, these leaders come in as a group to Jesus, and they're asking him for a sign from heaven. Now, there's context here. If you read, if you back up a little bit, I'm going to invite you to do that this week to read Matthew 14, 15, and 16. The context is Jesus had just done a whole group of amazing signs that only could have come from heaven. And at the end of those miracles, this group of religious leaders come and they ask for a sign. It seems a bit crazy what they're doing, but that's what they do. They come asking for the sign. And he answered them, When it's evening, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. And the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. It's the sailor's warning, right, that Jesus gives. Did you know that that warning was so old? It's historic. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. That is, you know how to be a good weatherman. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And that's part of what a true leader is supposed to be able to do, to be able to look around and exegete the current and the future movement of their culture. You're not doing that well. Verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Okay, that's a pretty interesting passage, isn't it? When you think what happens, they come, they ask for a sign. Jesus gives them, hey, you're great weathermen, but you have no clue what's going on around you. In fact, it's an evil and adulterous, an unfaithful generation. And I'm including you in that statement, Jesus is saying, provoking them. I'm including you that you are evil and that you are adulterous, and this is your generation that you're leading. I'm only going to give you one sign. It's a sign of Jonah, and he leaves. Now, he had already explained before what that sign unveiled in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to get there in a second. But I believe that these religious leaders that that came to Jesus, that many of them probably had actually pretty good initial intentions. Like they, they entered into their faith because they wanted to be faithful. They wanted to walk with God. They wanted to serve him. They wanted to um, be involved in service. They had a whole group of things that they did in their life, but they had failed, and they had failed 
in two particular ways. First, while they were good at predicting the weather, they had failed in a far more important endeavor. They had failed to understand God's heart. And Jesus actually, when he's interacting with the Pharisees and Sadducees throughout the Gospels, he reveals this, that they had missed the core of God's heart. And their attempt to be religious, they had missed the most important things. And second, they were serving for a variety of wrong reasons and modeling that behavior to an entire generation. Some served to earn the approval of others. And that's pretty familiar ground, isn't it? I think probably everybody here has stepped into service in some way, and we've done it for the approval of our parents or for the church or for some other authority to gain their approval. And if that's what motivates you, you're bound to be frustrated and to be disappointed and to fall short. And I think some of them served to earn points with God. God, just look at all the good things I'm doing here, all the ways that I'm serving. Again, very common ground, right? It's easy to slip into this kind of motive. In this passage, these leaders came to Jesus once again. Obviously, the scripture says, trying to trip him up and embarrass him. And apparently, they're trying to justify their own belief system in the process of this. And that's always dangerous ground when it comes between our conversation and God, when we try to justify ourselves or try to do things with our own agenda. And so they ask for this sign from heaven. And we've already said that that context is pretty messed up because in chapter 14, if you remember a little bit of the flow of the Gospels, Jesus had gotten word that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And he was obviously brokenhearted. He went out to get away from the crowds and from all the demands of his ministry and to get by himself to a deserted place, Scripture says. And yet these massive crowds followed him. They kept following him because they were hungry for what he was teaching they wanted to know God. They wanted to understand how to have a relationship with God, and they were following him. And they get out to the desert, and he feeds them, over 5,000 people, with just a little tiny bit of food. And then later on, as you go through the text in Matthew, Jesus walks on the water. And after that, Jesus comes to another crowd of people, hungry people that he has compassion on, and he feeds them over 4,000 in this setting. All these people, all these signs from heaven where he is serving people, caring for the sick, addressing people's physical challenges. Scripture says he had given all these signs of God's great love for people, and the signs were obvious. So it's apparent that these guys don't care about those signs. The Pharisees and Sadducees were asking for something for themselves. They wanted more of what God had for them. It was self-driven, right? It was not about others. It was about themselves. And their request, I think, reveals their issue. And it's an issue that we all wrestle with. Who is service for? Who is service for? When you're serving, guys, if you're serving your, your and you happen to be married, you're, you're serving your wife, who is your service for? Is it really for her? Or is it to get something out of her? Or is it even actually a deeper level? Are you serving your wife because you serve Jesus? 
and you know of his great affection for your wife. If you're a single person and um, you have an opportunity to serve, to jump in and, and serve, and you, you happen to be serving people who are homeless, are you serving them or are you serving for other people's esteem of what you're doing? Or is there a deeper, more meaningful level to your service? Are you actually serving Jesus, giving them a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus and serving Christ as you serve them? There's a very different way to serve according to Scripture. When the beginning point of our service gets messed up, then we get messed up. Can I just be clear? We're not about earning brownie points with God. That doesn't work. We're saved by grace and grace alone. We're loved by him regardless of our actions. We respond to the love of God and serve out of that response, but we, we don't serve to earn or to impress. We serve because Jesus first served us. How remarkable is that? That he first served us and we respond to him in that. Our service is an expression and intentional outpouring of our love and response to his love and his service of us. And it's also a mark of him on us. Our identity is shaped by this kind of service. And Jesus is teaching this point out in Matthew 25, a little later on in the book, when he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that is, he's talking about himself, when Jesus appears with all its glory, and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, that's Jesus, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And this passage, it raises this central truth that we've just been talking about, that serving Jesus is not about you. Serving Jesus is not about you. Serving should not be about you if you're a follower of Jesus. It should be about serving. This is an easy answer, okay? And you're wide awake, right? Serving is about serving. Yeah, Jesus. Good. You got the, you got the Bible answer, and it's right, actually. That is right. It's about serving Jesus. It's not about your needs or credit you're going to gain from others or expectations. It's always about him. And when we grow disappointed with others because they're not appreciating our service, It's because we've messed up in the beginning. Do you think the Lord affirms you and will affirm you for your service of him? The answer is yes. 
When he sees you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to him. And he's cognizant of that. And he rewards much greater than other things will reward you. The Pharisees and Sadducees were a prime example of serving the wrong person. They were serving themselves and serving for the wrong intent. They were serving for the credit or esteem of others. Let's not be like that because Jesus rebuked them. He told them that it's the wicked and adulterous. That's the, the lowest rung of scum on the Jesus you know, evaluation for them. And those would be the ones that seek for more a sign, an obvious thing. And that incendiary language was about helping them rethink their false gods and false relationships, that they were not truly serving God. They'd been unfaithful. Yet, in his mercy, he would give them one more sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Matthew 12, I, I said I would remind you of this. Jesus had been talking to a part of these leaders anyway. And he said this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, in retrospect, we know the answer, right? Jesus is saying, here's the sign of Jonah. It's a sign of complete service. That is, that God himself would become your slave and die on a cross for you in order to redeem you. And that's true greatness. Amazing service. So, the leaders are wrestling with this. They're struggling as um, Jesus walks away from them. And they're grappling with what he means. And they know that he was talking about three days and three nights in the earth and still trying to figure that out. But the tragedy is when it happened then, when Jesus fulfilled that sign, they still did not get it. They still did not turn to serve him. Now pick up the next scene, Matthew 16 again, starting in verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, that is, they, they left Jesus and they left the crowd of Pharisees and Sadducees, reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, ah, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith. Why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Now, what was the problem with that? Okay, hello, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people more than that. And then another time it fed 4,000, over 4,000. So the disciples are thinking that Jesus is talking about they don't have bread and that's a problem? Does that really be a problem? That, that wouldn't be a problem, right? So they're wrestling with this. And I love actually, when you read these things, it makes me smile because Matthew is the one that's writing it. And he's one of those disciples, He's just being transparent with how stupid they were in the moment. And I think that's really healthy, right? When we can look back and look back on some of the things we've done and go, oh, man, that was, oh, what was I thinking? And so Matthew writes out his experience so we might grow from it. So he's telling this, this experience of Jesus really rebukes him about having little faith. 
Did you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How quickly you forget. How do you forget so quickly? And you're panicked over not bringing bread. That's not the point. That's not what I was saying here. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which was a teaching that taught you could earn your way to heaven through service, and you can't. That wrecks the whole bread. It wrecks everything. That's not how it works. Again, men and women, you are loved by God. You are invited into relationship with him. And you are in that relationship and forgiven in that relationship. If you but trust him, he rescues you. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. It's free. It's a gift from him. But what does this have to say about our service? So Jesus tells them, beware of that means of faith, expressing religion. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with God that's based on grace. But think this through. Jesus could have fed the 5,000 by himself, right? What did he do? He handed out those baskets to the disciples. Why did he include them? Why does he include you in the plan to serve? Does he really need you? Does he think, oh my goodness, if George doesn't show up, then what are we going to do about pumpkin patch? No, he doesn't do that. He invites you to participate. He invited those disciples to participate because serving Jesus is designed to stretch your faith. Think it through what he does in the Gospels. He invites his disciples on all these adventures. Why does he do that? So that they would learn through their service to be stretched in their faith. He gives them those baskets when they fed the 5,000. What's going through their mind? I'm going to look so stupid when this empties out. What am I doing? And I've got all these thousands of people, and they start handing them out. And they've got all these doubts and questions going on in their brain, and they keep handing it out. They keep serving and then keep discovering, oh, God's doing something here. Right? Have you ever been in that kind of setting of service where you're serving way over your head? You got into this place. You don't even know how Pastor Fred talked you into this. (laughs) And you're serving here. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm like at the end of my resources. How did someone do this? Or... Pastor Harry talked to you into getting up on stage, your heart's beating, you don't know what you're doing, you're afraid you're going to mess up, and then God steps into the moment, and he starts using you and stretching you so that you might understand that service is about stretching your faith. I don't know how many conversations I've had with people over the years where people have said, oh, I'm just not really growing here. Really? So I ask the question, how are you serving And that usually shuts them up, right? Because we grow when we serve, and then we get hungry for more of it so we can give more to other people, and we start growing and self-feeding and stepping into those situations that will serve us. Some of us, 
do not serve because we haven't got this principle underneath our skin that when we serve in risky situations and we're serving Jesus, he is going to provoke and stretch and move us. Perhaps, in fact, I will guarantee there will be times where we'll be uncomfortable and you will not want it. And yet he calls you to those places so that you would grow and your faith would get rich and deep and would enlarge. If you are not growing in your faith right now and you're frustrated with it, serve Jesus. Find a place to step in where you can serve him with your whole heart that's over your head. That's what he's calling you to. That's what he called his disciples to throughout the relationship. We share with many of you that we have this vision that a thousand new disciples would be made in the coming days. Yes, for some of you who get bothered by setting a number, it's just a number. But it represents family and friends. A people that we want to see God use us so that they might come to faith in Jesus. They might come to know him and experience new life in him. They are from your world, not my world. They're from your world where you live, your neighborhood, your place of work, your friends groups, your family. These are the people that we at Bridges long to see come to faith and start following Jesus. After the second service last week, I had um, a young adult man and woman um, waiting to talk with me. I was in a different conversation, and I noticed them in the corner of my eye, and I said, can we talk with you, Pastor? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And we went in my office. And this young man had been praying for this young woman and encouraging her. She um, was stepping out of a lifetime of struggle with her faith background. She had grown up in the Middle East. Her parents were strong Muslims. And she had wrestled with that expression for a long time. And she was in my office expressing her desire to follow Jesus. To find life in a place where she would be loved and have a true father. One who loved her. A God who would be intimate with her. Where she would no longer have to do a set of behaviors. But she could lean into the grace of God. And she got it. She totally got it. And I was just like thinking about the wonder of this, what God was doing through this young man to bring people in his world to faith in Jesus. He had stepped into this place where it stretched his faith. And this young woman had come to him serving Jesus. It feeds hungry people. Serving Jesus, it feeds hungry people. Think again through the, all the stories that I've mentioned in Matthew 14 and 15 that lead up to Matthew 16 here and beyond. People are truly having their needs met through serving Jesus. I've served in some capacities where at the end I've thought, did that do any good? Have you ever done that? Where you thought, did anything good just happen there or... Maybe I'll just never know until heaven or whatever. Listen, serving Jesus actually does meet needs. Meets practical needs, like Jesus was doing, very practical ministry. And it meets spiritual needs. You're serving 
Jesus develops and enlarges compassion in you. When we serve for our own reasons and motives, it drains us. But when we actually step into places that are going to stretch us and we're serving Christ because he has loved us and first served us, then he moves us to start meeting practical needs and spiritual needs together. When you see Jesus in action in the gospel accounts, examine the actions. Examine what's happened deeper. He was calling his disciples to something really interesting, and it keeps popping up. Jesus balances the practical acts of service with revelation moments. Here's what I mean. Why did he feed those 5,000 people? He fed them because he had compassion, the scripture says. He just loved them, and he fed them. But he was also revealing himself to them. He was also demonstrating who he was. And when I serve in practical ways, I want to help people understand who Jesus is. And that's what brings meaning to my service. People have real needs, and God calls us to compassionately meet them. But in that meeting of them, it should lead them to respond to Jesus. Not to me, because if it's, I'm just serving about me, then it's going to be obvious. But if I'm serving Jesus, something different happens. Romans 2.4 says, It's your kindness, your acts of compassion, your service, that leads to repentance. People turning from their own way and turning toward Jesus. Now look at the next scene in Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, okay, after all of these things had happened, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, yeah, okay, okay, I got that. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, my Father revealed that I am Christ. See, serving people leads people. Serving Jesus, excuse me, leads people to the great confession. The great confession being, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. You are the one that has come to rescue me and save me. You are the son of the living God. That confession, it brings new life. And that's the point of my service, to bring new life to people. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. That's why we did Pumpkin Patch. Over 200 of you were volunteering with that and serving. That's fantastic. That's great. And we had a lot of people here, right? We were serving our community, which was fantastic. But we were really essentially doing is serving Jesus so that our community one day would understand that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's alive and well. And he's at work, and he's inviting people into relationship. So let me encourage you about serving. Serving Jesus, it's not about you. When you serve, 
don't serve for your own attention because that stuff, that just fades away. Serving Jesus is designed to stretch your faith. If you're at a place in your spiritual journey where you're not growing like you need to grow, you need to step into a place of serving Jesus that will enlarge you, that will challenge you and cause greater growth in you. That doesn't have to be here in the walls and bridges. It could be. But you are called to serve Jesus if you're a follower of his. And remember that serving Jesus, it feeds hungry people. It addresses practical needs, and it addresses spiritual needs. And serving Jesus leads people a direction. It always did in the Gospels. It leads me this way. It leads other people in my neighborhood, in my world, my 8 to 15 people, or whatever that number might be, the people that God has placed in my life, my world, so that they might come to faith And they might be able to say with a whole heart that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I know him. I serve him. Pray with me, please. Father, we want to serve Jesus. We want to serve in response to your great service of us. We thank you that we're free from um, just the compulsion of trying to impress people or earn points with you by serving, but we could just do it in response to your great service of us. I pray, Lord, that you would enlarge our service. You would place these, my friends, in places this week that would stretch them in big ways and help them to understand how great you are and how powerful you long to serve through them. Father, I pray the people in our world would come to faith in you because we're serving you. And it's obvious. Christ saying we pray and for his glory, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.